family is a huge and critical part of our lives and of our faith walk. And you know, the thing about family is that when family is good, it's like really good, isn't it? When family's awesome, it's really awesome. When family is not awesome, it's really not awesome. It is one of those realities of life. And to think of today here in this room represented so many family relationships. How many families here today deeply affected by uh, siblings who are in a long-term feud with one another? How many marriages here struggling, both partners wishing it was better than it is, but not knowing how to get out from that, stuck? How many parents here, hearts hurting deeply for a prodigal child or a children that are in strife, any number of things that affect us so deeply. And today what I want to encourage you biblically uh, with is that when you look at your family, you are always going to see brokenness and blessing. And I want to encourage you today to view both the brokenness and the blessing biblically. And uh, that means that it's not either brokenness or blessing, that it is always and perpetually in this life brokenness and blessing, simultaneously coexisting. Because if brokenness is all that you see and you're focused on what's not right in your family, you're going to miss the blessings that would otherwise be a great encouragement to you. At the same time, if all you see is or expect is blessing, and you want the perfect family, you are perpetually going to be disappointed and disillusioned with the family that is yours. So what I'm going to say today is that the the blessing of family love is a remnant of the creation, and that there is the possibility in this life of experiencing the blessing of the future family in the new creation, so that brokenness always forces us to deal with the fall, and blessing should cause us to give thanks for creation and anticipate the day when there won't be any brokenness anymore in family or in the universe. So we are always broken and blessed. And what I want to do this morning to begin with is I want to tell the narrative story of family and understand how our family today in 2000 and and I won't say because it could be in the radio later, uh, is part of a story and to see your, your story in the bigger picture of the story of the family. So let's go back to the beginning now. Where did family come from? Whose idea was this? And we find family right away in the biblical story in the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 2. You might turn there if you would. Genesis 2 verse 24 We read the account of of creation, and within that account is this verse, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now this verse summarizes what has been in chapter 2, a very detailed accounting of God creating Eve. And ladies, I just want to note for you that you have more story, you have more space dedicated to your creation than any galaxy, 
any part of the universe, even man himself. It was the creation of woman that gobbles up all of this space in chapter 2, and uh, you have a special distinction because of it. And so God creates Eve and brings Eve to Adam, and what a great moment in his life. I think if we interview Adam in heaven someday and we say, hey, top five greatest moments, you know, certainly, or top three, two, maybe top moment, I don't know, when Eve showed up and God brought Eve to Adam, what a great moment in his life. And we have here God establishing his divine purpose for family and giving a paradigm for how humanity will work. A man shall leave his father and mother, okay, so this is where you have a son or a daughter that leaves the birth family unit, and leave that unit, and then to be established with somebody else's son or daughter in a new one flesh unit, a one flesh family. So there's mommy and daddy. What about children? Are children anywhere in the creation narrative? Yes, they are. If you just look back a little bit to chapter 1, verse 26, God said, this is what happened. And God blessed them. This is Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the earth. Now this verse is known as the creation mandate. We talked about this with technology last week. You might remember. God gives to humanity this mandate regarding stewarding and subduing the earth. And right within the like, plan of God, we have multiplication. Be fruitful and multiply. We call this reproduction. And children are the fruit, normally, not always, but normally, of this process. And if they are... Uh, if they do have children, those children then leave eventually that family unit to be united with a, somebody else's son or daughter, and then there's that new family unit. And you see the generational plan of God for the earth being filled and subdued. So what is a family then? Here's one, uh, one scholar says this, a family is one man and one woman united in matrimony, plus, normally, naturally or adopted children, and secondarily, any other persons related by blood. Now, I put that up there because we live in a day where all of these definitions are being changed. We live in a day where what is a family, that basic definition is being changed, and what is a marriage, and not just that, but like what is a husband, what is a man, what does it mean to be male, what is a woman, what is a wife, what is a mommy, what, is it, what does it mean to be female, like we live in a day that in, in, in ways more than any other day in human history, actively trying to change this basic blueprint that God has established. And so I want to say to you, if your family is a mess right now, and you are struggling in your family, and you're just living in society with all this chaos, and you're like, who do I listen to? You know, and we've got all these voices on television, and, and uh, you know, cultural people that are saying, this is the way that it should be. Where do you go for answers? I'm happy to tell you that there are answers, solid Practical answers to what a family is, what a mommy, what a daddy, what a husband, what a wife is, and how this is supposed to work in the word of God. And that this is a blueprint, a practical blueprint, 
that will help you, okay? There's a solid place for your foot to rest and for you to move forward in your family. And I'm going to try to do that some here in this message. We've been doing it all month in our, in our family month. But we see that family and our sexuality and, and uh, all of this is grounded in the eternal purpose and character of God. It is not subject to redefinition. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says or anybody else says. What a fa- marriage is and what a family is is something that God designed and God defines. Now, one more thing to say is to highlight the fact that in verse 31 of Genesis 1, God steps back from the whole thing, the whole creation, and it says that God uh, saw that it was very good. And that divine, aesthetical, moral, spiritual, theological assessment of God includes his plan for the family. That this is part, the family is a part of the good creation. It's a part of God's blessing. It's a part of God's eternal wisdom, the family, as God created it. So we look at that, and you could say, if I stopped right here and and just said, okay, the creation family, you'd go, why does it hurt so much then? Like, it sounds great in Genesis 2. Well, it's because there's Genesis 3. The broken family, and time doesn't allow me to uh, give the whole account in Genesis 3, you can read it on your own, but the family and everything else is broken when Adam and Eve sin against God. Not just the vertical relationship between God and man, but also all of these horizontal relationships are, are, are corrupted and are distorted. Immediately after sinning, Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes, something they had never done before. But also they are hiding from one another. How? Let me just walk through a few things. Verse 6 of chapter 3, Eve leads and Adam follows, producing the first sin. Okay? That's not God's pattern and it didn't work out well. Okay? Verse 7, they hide from each other behind clothing, which they had not worn up to that point. Verse 12, Adam blames Eve and God for his sin. Okay, the very first person who said, I'm a victim, I am not, a, you know, this isn't my fault. It was Adam going, the woman that you gave to me, right? Previous chapters, he's like, the woman. Now he's like, that woman. <laughs> How quickly things can change. That's a little summary of marriage, isn't it? In the morning, I'm married. My lunch. <laughs> I'm speaking of other people's marriages in that, by the way. Chapter 4, immediately, Cain is jealous of his brother Abel and murders him. The next chapter, you have murder. I mean, okay, eat the the fruit. How bad is that? It doesn't seem that bad. Okay, it was sin and all that. Next chapter, murder. Like the worst crime that we can do, it takes one chapter for that to appear on the scene. Sin, immediately, deeply distorting. And then by verse 19 of chapter 4, you have polygamy introduced into the storyline. A departure from God's plan for one woman and one man creating one flesh. So right away, the whole thing just goes. And within two chapters, God goes to Noah and says, i got to wipe all these people out. Two chapters later, that's it. 
God's commissioning Noah to build the ark and to wipe out humanity because of their sin. Now, the more I study the Bible, the more I am convinced of a theological reality that the things that God designed to reflect most clearly and most wonderfully his glory after the fall are the things that experience the deepest sorrow and the deepest pain. The more valuable it is on the, in the creation side, the more corrupt it is after the fall. The principle is this. If, if you drop a paper plate at lunch today, you don't cry about it. If you drop and break your grandma's fine china, everybody's crying about it, right? Why? Because the more valuable something is, the more we feel its loss. And so in creation, you've got polywogs and you've got worms and you've got, you know, seagulls and all kinds of, you know, streams and rivers. Yeah, 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 awesome, really, really great. But what did God design to most reflect who he is and what he is like? Now we're on the spiritual, now we're on the image bearing, now we're on, you know, who we are as human beings reflecting the glory of God and, and, and in relationships with one another that in the narrative of creation, God designed a certain way. So after the fall, guess what places experience the deepest hurts and pains? It's not the polywogs and it's not the worms, it is these family relationships, After the fall, life is lost in death. After the fall, sexuality becomes something shameful and we wear clothing to hide our nakedness. And of all the pains that hurt, marriage pain, family pain, hurts the most. And that's why if a friend leaves you, you feel bad about it. If your spouse leaves you, you, you're devastated by it. It's a whole nother level within the family because family is really important to us. It retains some of that glory that God gave it prior to the fall in creation. And that's why we love our families so much. Like, it's instinctual. We have no classes here, parents, how to love your kids. We just naturally love our families, love our children, love our parents. But their worth is why the brokenness hurts so much. I mean, even two uh, sisters that are in a bitter feud with one another are, are implicitly saying family is really important. I mean, why else fight like this if it wasn't so important? It is incredibly important to us. So the created family, the family broken, Genesis 3. I want to skip ahead now in the narrative. I want to skip ahead to the future And did you know that there is a future for family? If you're a Christian, this family thing is going to be really important and awesome, by the way, in the future, okay? The future family. Listen to Revelation 21, okay? We're almost to the end of the Bible. This is the, you know, this is the end of the story, or the beginning of the real story, to quote C.S. Lewis. Uh, I'm going to read verse 5 and following. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. 
The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my what? Son. He will be my son. She will be my daughter. Why does God decide to use a family term to describe the relationship that we are going to experience forever? Because this concept of family is not something that that ends in this creation. It is something that will be experienced forever for those that are believers in Christ. We are, when we become a Christian, many things happen. Our sins are forgiven. We are made alive spiritually through regeneration. We're declared righteous in the eyes of God. But one of the most wonderful things that happens is known as adoption, where God doesn't merely wipe away the slate He welcomes us into his family and says, you are actually, in my eyes, like my own son or daughter. It's the doctrine of adoption. I think we're going to get to heaven and find out, like, you know, the the, the three things we didn't really get very well while we were on earth, one of them is going to be adoption. What it means to presently, right now, this isn't just in the future, right now, to be presently in a status of a, of a child of Almighty God. It boggles the mind, okay? Boggles the mind. You know, human adoption, they use the language, uh, children are looking for their forever family. And that's very sweet, okay? And we get what that means. But truly, our forever family is the family of God. And we are someday going to experience a level of family friendship and cohesiveness and harmony and love that will make us look back on even the awesome days that we have with family now like they were the shadows, they weren't the reality. Family. We're going to be in a family forever. And God is going to be our forever daddy. In fact, uh, this is First this is John 4, 7 and 8. The Apostle John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. Even the Apostle uh, John is like amazed that, that we would be called children of God. Paul writes in Romans 8, and what a great chapter that's going to be in our Romans series, uh, in Romans 8, that we have the privilege of approaching Almighty God and calling him Abba. An intimate term like Daddy, Dada, Dada. And that's reality now, okay? And it's going to be even greater someday. So what a wonderful comfort that should be if you are here today and you've lost your family. Maybe they are dead. Maybe they've abandoned you. To realize that there is coming a day where you will have a full, wonderful, and eternal experience of family love. Maybe you're single today and you wish that you were married or you're widowed or divorced or whatever it might be and That whole category has been a a hurt or a disappointment in your life. There is coming a day where you will have a kind of intimacy uh, that is described biblically as a kind of marriage with Christ that will make even the greatest moments of marital love in this life pale in comparison. Or to say it this way, for us, with family, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So what am I describing here? Here's a chart. Okay, this is sort of the story of the family biblically. I already covered creation. Okay, God establishes the family. The fall, the family is broken because of sin. 
But someday in the new creation, there is a future family. And this should be like, whoop, 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 doing like that. Because this is like, we long for that. We can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. But we're not at awesome yet, are we? Where are we living today, right now? We are living in this in-between time. In between what has happened in the past and what is yet to come. Or what I'm calling the time of broken and blessed. Broken and blessed. And blessed. And my encouragement to you today is to see your family's drama, whether that be great or not great, as part and parcel of this divine biblical narrative. It is broken and it is blessed for reasons that are grounded in the narrative of Scripture. So let's talk about this present time, okay? This present family. And I have some encouragements to you today. And the first is this is to realize. That when your family is really great, when you're experiencing the blessing of family, that what you're actually experiencing is a remnant of what God established in creation. We ought to be thankful for it. We ought to be thankful for it. So the experience of being in a family, especially a Christian family, you're basically living out day to day the story of redemption. Marital intimacy is a reminder when everything was great. A fun family uh, movie night where everybody got along and you just had that really sort of great experience and it's all done. You're like, boy, that was really great. What is that? It's echoing an ancient harmony. When family speaks words of encouragement, honor, love, and respect, and it feels sort of like noble and meaningful. The child dedication, the piano recital, walking your daughter down the aisle, singing together on a family road trip. When family is awesome, it is really awesome. And it used to be awesome always. And the fact that we even have a family, I think we take for granted. I mean, to realize that when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a lot of things that were taken away from them. And we can make a long list, but life without end being one of them. A lot of things were taken away. God took things away. But in his love and what we call common grace, God left family as a part of the human experience. So you may not be thankful for everything about your family, but I wonder if you are thankful that you have a family at all. Because this is a grace from God. We are not entitled to it. God has graciously allowed us to experience it. Secondly, The brokenness of family is a stark reminder of the fall. And we ought to think about it like that, in a a broad sense, okay? Every harsh word, every dissonance in marriage, every sort of hard day with the kids, every feuding sibling, every funeral of a family member is a reminder to us that when mankind fell, the family fell with it. And, you know, every family has brokenness. In a weird way, this is an encouragement, I think. Every family has brokenness. Every family here has brokenness. Now, right now, we don't have any brokenness. To look at every marriage represented here, you all look like you love each other constantly, all day long, can't get enough of each other. That's like marriage in church, right? But the reality is, is that That brokenness is felt throughout the week. 
Jesus' family had brokenness. Did you know that? Jesus' family had brokenness. When, when Jesus begins his ministry, his mom and his siblings refuse to believe in him, which is itself is a sin. And I say that to encourage you that even the selected by God Virgin Mary couldn't mother sinful attitudes out of her kids. There's some mommy here that needs that encouragement. Even the Virgin Mary couldn't do it. And you can't probably, she wasn't a virgin by then, but you know what I'm saying, okay? The, at one time, Virgin Mary. But just think of the dynamics in Jesus' house a moment, right? So growing up, Jesus says something. He does something. His younger brother, James, says, who made you God? Anybody here struggle with that sort of goody two-shoes, almost perfect oldest sibling? Imagine. Jesus as your oldest sibling. And everybody wondering, are you as, you know, wonderful as your brother? No, I'm not. <laughs> Jesus' family was very imperfect. Your family is imperfect. My family is imperfect. Your marriage, if you're married, is imperfect. My marriage is imperfect. And just getting that out in the open, I think, helps us to realize the fall requires us to admit that. No matter what we say on Facebook or portray our incredible families on Facebook to be, they're all broken. And so that grass is greener on the other side of, you know, the family on the other side of the fence. Don't believe it. It's not true. Third, God's plan for restoring the family is future and now, I don't want anybody here to hear this sort of narrative family message and say, well, what Pastor Steve said is just hang in there, die, and then it gets good. That's not what I'm saying, okay? And the reason that I, I, I don't say that is that is the resurrection. Honestly, it's the resurrection. What was the resurrection of Jesus? It was the inbreaking of the future power of God and the kingdom of God in the here and the now. God raised Jesus from the dead. And that is why Jesus in his ministry was all the time talking about the kingdom of God and saying, hey, it's not just someday, it's now. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is within you. His parables over and over and over again, the kingdom of God is a now reality. It has a future thing, but it's a now thing as well. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to a Christian marriage and a Christian family, and just like it raised Jesus from the dead, it can raise our marriage from the dead and our family from the dead. It is the real power of God. It is transformational. Never perfect in this life, often not close to perfect, but it is supernatural all the same. And to realize that, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian family? A Christian family is not a family that goes to church on Sunday, although most Christian families probably do that. A Christian family is a family that is living out the gospel all the days of the week. They are consciously, purposefully, faithfully living out the gospel in their horizontal relationships with one another. And because Romans 1.16, the key verse in the book of Romans the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and that salvation is someday and now 
Part of what God is intending the gospel to do in a home is to transform our families to be like what that new creation family is going to be like. And there is power to that that doesn't come from our wisdom or, or our like efforts. It comes from God. And God can save your marriage and God can save your family and God can change it. Fundamentally change it. So what does that look like? Well, I have a couple things it looks like. The first thing, it looks like a family that has a shared vision for what their family is and why it exists. A vision for your family. I think many families don't know why they exist. Like if I was to ask your family or your kids if they're in a place where they could answer a question like this, what's the purpose of your family? What would they say? And I'm convinced most families don't even think about this. They don't talk about this. They just kind of like, their culture is defined by the broader culture. So our family exists so that we can, I don't know. My family exists so that we can be educated. Education is really important in our family, and so it's about grade point and accomplishing degrees. Or our family exists because we, we love to have these amazing experiences, and this summer we're ziplining over Machu Picchu you know, or something. Our, our family exists because we accumulate things. Our family exists so we, so we uh, serve one another, whatever it might be. Your family needs to know why it exists. And your family members need to know what their role is in that existence. And this is part of what coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ does for a marriage and does for a family. It is a sharing, valuing of what the family is and the roles in the family according to what the Bible says we should do. Now, I don't know who's going to win the game tonight, but I'm pretty sure if one of the teams, if the players don't know why they're on the field, that's the losing team, in my opinion. And so many families lose because the family members don't know, A, why am I on the field? And secondly, what role am I playing in this team? And the Bible lays it out. Now, This assumes that you are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You're not under the lordship of secular culture. You're not under the lordship of what your mommy and daddy did. You are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And you are saying in that, Christ is the center of our home. A home where Jesus is honored and his name is held high. If you want to borrow our statement here at the church, our home is all about him. The centrality of Christ. We want to glorify Jesus in our home. We want to take Romans 11, for from him, through him, and to him all things, to him be the glory. And we want to, as best we can, live that out here in our family. And the kids get it, and the parents get it, everybody sort of understands, this is why we're here. I've been in homes where they will take that kind of a vision statement, and they like paint it on the wall. Have you seen this? They paint it on the wall, or they put a frame around it, or they put it somewhere so that every day when they're going to the bathroom or down the stairs, oh yeah, this is why my family exists. Your family needs a vision. And if there is no vision, parents, uh, that's your fault. That's your responsibility to cast the vision for who your family is and why it exists. But again, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we have the roles defined so that in a Christian family, a husband and father loves and leads in the marriage and the family. 
That's what the Bible says. A wife, the wife is there to support and submit to her husband as friend, lover, and companion. That's what the Bible says. Children. Do we have any children here? Looking for you in the, ah, yeah, there's one right here in the third row. I found, oh, yeah, right here. You, my friend. Do you realize how easy you have it? And yeah, you, you in the third and fourth row. Kids have it the easiest, don't they? You know, the Bible has all these commands for families and marriages and husbands and wives and parents. Kids, you got one thing to do. That's it. Just one thing. You want to know what it is? Obey your parents. How hard can that be? One thing that you do. Do it as unto the Lord. What a difference unifying vision can make in your marriage and in your family. Talk about this. I'm opening the door just the fact that I'm bringing this up. What a great conversation over lunch today would be to say, hey, do we all understand what the purpose of our family is? Families, I would double dog dare you to do it or whatever I need to do to get you to actually talk about the purpose of your family and not just talk about silly things. Talk about something that might actually bring blessing to your family. This would do it. Secondly, is to realize that brokenness, this remnant of the fall, is redeemed within a family specifically through grace and forgiveness. If there is a cultural reality to have in your home, if you are going to reflect the glory of Christ, it is by horizontally having a culture of grace towards one another and forgiveness. Now, as Christians, we have a great supply of this, do we not? Where does the grace that we need to deal with one another come from? It comes from me understanding the grace that God has bestowed upon me. And the more that I understand the grace of God to me, the more that I am going to have grace for the people that are around me. The less I have an understanding of the grace of God towards me, the less grace I'm going to have for the people around me. And I'm going to be caustic and I'm going to be judgmental. But a Christian is one who understands my sin was great and God forgave me by his grace. Like the parable we looked at a few weeks ago about the man forgiven a billion dollars and then he goes and chokes the guy for the happy meal. See that? Are you a happy meal Christian or are you a, boy, God has forgiven me everything Christian. You want to be married to the God has been forgiven me everything person. Forgiveness. Now even our forgiveness in this is broken. Don't get some vision where, yeah, that would be awesome, like just all the time, easy. No, it's not easy. In fact, I recently uh, captured a moment between my two daughters I'm glad I had my phone nearby. I grabbed it quick because I saw where this conversation was going. My two daughters, I have a four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old daughter. And apparently my two-year-old daughter had done something against my four-year-old daughter. And my four-year-old daughter, Kiralee, is trying to explain to Madeline, the two-year-old daughter, that she, Madeline, needs to ask Kiralee to forgive her. Madeline is struggling with this concept. And so... I captured it. I thought I'd just play it for you real quick. Forgiveness broken. Forgive me. 
can, can you forgive me because no, you're going to forgive no, you are the one who been naughty so I will say I will forgive you and you say will you forgive me will you forgive me yeah no you're going to say will you forgive me I reckon you no man money. Daddy, I'm not saying she will not forgive me. Well, should you forgive her for not forgiving you? No. Well, Madeline, can you say, will you forgive me? I forgive you. Mella, can you say, will you forgive me? I forgive you. Mella, will you say, will you forgive me? I forgive you. Okay. Even our forgiveness is broken, right? Madeline refusing to acknowledge that she had done something wrong and needed to be forgiven. Tim Keller writes, one of the most basic skills in marriage is the ability to tell the straight, unvarnished truth about what your spouse has done. And then completely, unselfrighteously, and joyously express forgiveness without a shred of superiority, without making the other person feel small. It's not leverage against them anymore. It's not brought up against them anymore. It is forgiven. And I just want to ask you, is your family, like, is the culture of your family more living out the fall or living out the new creation, redemptive family? Are you stuck in Genesis 3 or are you living in Revelation 21? And I would encourage you, the path between the two is John 20 and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And an understanding of the cross and to really deeply understand God's grace to each of us individually is what allows us to be gracious towards one another. This is Father, forgive them. I'm sorry. Uh, forgive my debts as you also I said that wrong again. I messed that up. Father, forgive my debts as I also forgive those indebted to me. There it is. How do we say that? We understand what God has forgiven us. How many marriages could be really transformed on this very basic Christian truth and its application towards the offenses, the wrongs, the words, the whatever that have got you stuck and you can't get past Here's a summary statement. What God desires is happy, secure, and fulfilled families where the needs of the individual family members are met, but where this fulfillment is not an end in itself, but becomes a vehicle for ministry to others. In this way, God uses families to bring glory to himself and to further his kingdom, showing the world what he is like by the love and unity expressed in a family, by the husband's respect for his wife, the wife's submission to her husband, and the children's obedience, even if imperfect. The goal, friends, is for our families to be prophetic, to be declarative, 
in the way that we relate to one another, in the imperfect, never all that it should be, harmony of love and grace that we express to one another, in this world, it doesn't take very much to stand out, right? You don't have to be John the Baptist wearing a coat of of camel hair and, and standing in the river baptizing people to be a prophet in today's culture. It just takes a little bit of gospel on display and we look like we're crazy people. You've been, you've, you've been married to the same person for how long? What? How? Why? And there you are like John the Baptist. But that's a powerful influence. And that's the call that we have as Christians, horizontally, to live out the gospel in such a way that the wondering world is sort of like, what is it with you? And yes, at best, it is broken, but at best, it is truly blessed. It is always blessed and broken. You're gonna have blessed and broken somehow in some way through the duration of this day in your family. But can you see it biblically? Can you understand why it is this way? And can you apply the future glory of the new creation in the now and to experience that blessing? And that's family month at Bethel Church, okay? We're not crazy busy families living by priorities of the world and driving ourselves insane. We are equipped to love the annoying family member. We're equipped to love even the imperfect spouse. We are valuing presence with one another more than pixels and glowing screens. And we are broken every day, but blessed by God who is making all things All praise be to him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. And here we are at the end of family month. How many opportunities is your family going to have to have a truth just put right out in front that could be an incredible help to the quality of your family and indeed your day-to-day happiness. It's, it's there on the table right now, okay? It's been put out on the table right now. And you have now this opportunity to appropriate this, to talk about this. I'm, I'm opening the door for a conversation about the hard things in your family. And you know what, we're gonna get into Romans and we're gonna hear about the gospel. There'll be a lot of application there too. But this is about as good as you're going to have in 2018 on these issues that make such a difference in the day-to-day of life. Can I, can I encourage you to seize the opportunity and to, to try, okay? Try. Maybe the whole thing I've talked about today is like, I can't do all of that. How about a step? How about a try? And to see families all trying. Don't you think God would be delighted to bless that? I think that